This is The God Show, a conversation about the human spirit, with your host, Pat McMahon. Show about the human spirit. For 24 years, going on 25, we have been doing this on countless subjects, but all of it is really about as non-denominational as you can possibly get. Rarely do we ever even mention religion. We talk about the human spirit, and today we're going to be talking about when the human spirit dies and those who are left behind. Now, don't start saying, oh, I'm sorry. I don't need during the holidays. I don't need a depressing program like this. Yes, you do. Because it's not going to be depressing. You know why? Because I read the book, The Quiet House, by Ronald J. Greer. Subtitled, Reflections on the Loss of a Spouse. Oh, still sounds depressing? Well then, if you think so, and if you think that the loss of someone close to you needs to be perpetually depressing, you really need to listen to The God Show. Let me tell you about Ron Greer. He's the director of pastoral counseling, the service at Peachtree Road United Methodist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. He's a son of Louisiana, he's a son of Georgia, and he's a son of a gun who wrote (laughs) a number of books. And I will tell you, The Quiet House, uh, to me, Ron, was not only inspiring, but it was highly educational. And I thank you for that. Thank you. Ron, you've had more than your share of grief that this book is about. The death of a son, when did that take place? Well, that took place exactly 40 years ago this, this past fall. And how old was he? He was two. He was just two years and two months and was killed tragically in an auto accident. Yeah, in 1983, yes. And then after that, how many years you lost your wife? That's right. And uh, I lost Karen three years ago. I lost her in 2020. Uh, She had had cancer, had had cancer originally diagnosed in 2003, then was cancer-free for seven years, and it came back 2010. And so for the last decade of her life, she was undergoing various treatments. Oh, uh, Kept yeah, an incredibly yeah. positive spirit throughout it all. Cancer coming back, medical surprises that nobody wants. Right. Having had those two losses, though, and having experienced grief from both, was there a difference to you? in those two experiences? There was a radical difference, actually, Pat, the, for, for multiple reasons. One reason is, and we can go into to this more later if you like, that, that I became so aware of different losses having different dynamics. Uh, the the, uh, the saying in the field of thanatology, the study of grief and death, uh, is that, that the death of a parent is related to one's past. The death of a spouse is related to one's present. The death of a child is related to one's future. And again, we can go into that in more detail later if you like. But, 
they are different in, in, in terms of, of, if you will, the personality of the experience itself, uh, very different. For me, the difference in the two has to do with where I was personally uh, in that 40-year span when we lost our son. I was in my 30s, and I grew up in a wonderful family there in Louisiana and wonderful parents. But uh, my father was an accountant. My mother was a bookkeeper. So you can imagine how much emotion was encouraged. Very little. <laughs> we were very, shall, shall we say that? We were a rather cognitive crowd. I, I, my brother and I have, have, uh, have playfully said our unspoken family motto was, if you feel it, fake it. And you so were we, Methodists, too. And we were Methodists, too. So I hadn't even thought of adding that to it. You're spot on. So when my son died, I was so ill-equipped, so unacquainted with dealing with emotions. So when he died, I went on a fast course of education about what emotions were about. So the two experiences with my son and then my wife decades later were very different because I had really gone to school on how one expresses their emotions in a healthy way after Eric's death. And when Karen died, uh, I I knew I was going to put on my big boy britches, as they say, and and harness up. But I knew how to do it then, and it was no less painful. It took no less courage to 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 directly do it. But I knew it was not my first rodeo, as they say. I knew my way around. I haven't had the experience of losing a child, uh, even though my children are adults. Um, they're still. They're still uh, not only around, but excited about life. Mm -hmm. But the idea of losing a two-year-old suddenly in an automobile accident is unthinkable to me. I, I can't conceive what my response would be. And it is as powerful as you imagine it, it would be, because for, for every parent... There is that built-in drive to care for their children, whatever is good for their children, that they are to be there to take care of them, protect them, nurture them. And for so many parents, there is this feeling, and they understand that it's, it's pure emotion, it's irrational as a thought, but the feeling that somehow they are responsible. No matter how their child died, mm. they feel a, a sense of guilt about it, a responsibility about it. Uh, because there is that drive that we are to take care of them. And it, it, is, it is, is really what you said, Pat. It is really unimaginable unless you have been there. And you were a minister at the time? That's correct. Did you at some moment, some quiet moment, perhaps with the lights off in the bedroom, say, okay, God, is this really what you had in mind for me? I have a friend who uh, our our uh, older son Patrick was in the same accident and he was in uh, uh, traction for three weeks and then a body cast for a number of weeks after that. But when just after the accident, the uh, friend came to see us in the hospital and and I remember that that I was between our two sons' rooms. Our son was kept, Eric was kept on a respirator for two days as they did the EEGs. But our 
my friend was also a Methodist minister. And I remember his comment to me, Pat, which was very interesting. He was just talking about the mind-boggling event of Eric suddenly is dead. And his comment to me was, he said, Greer, when I cross the Jordan, I'm going with questions. And one of the questions that will be at the top of my, the question that will be at the top of my list is, what about the pain? What about the heartache? What about the tragedy? So I, I never asked that question, uh, is this what you had in store for me? Because I, I, I believe that, uh, of randomness and free will. And I know that random events happen. Someone is perfectly healthy, suddenly is diagnosed with cancer in multiple places. That is, is just pure randomness. For other people, they make unfortunate decisions, and it's a, it's a matter of free will. Neither one of, and God gave us the opportunity for, gave the opportunity for randomness, and He gave each of us the choice opportunity for free will, but it's not God's choices. They, they, it happens to us. And I absolutely, every step of the way, felt, that, felt God's presence with me. And it always felt like God was absolutely mourning with me. I, I just, I just think of Jesus walking into, uh, into the presence of uh, of Martha and Mary, and he was just moved to tears at their at their sadness. I just mm. think of that. That's how God has 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 been with me each of these steps along the way. How is Patrick today? Patrick is doing very well, very well. He is. Married to a wonderful lady and has uh, has a fifteen and, and thirteen year old sons uh, sons my grandsons. Yes, he's doing very well. Good. Tell us about Karen. Tell us about Karen uh, in the in the second diagnosis period. Yes, the. Um, Let, let, let me tell you, may, may I go back to the first diagnosis? Absolutely. Karen, uh, let, let me tell you a quick story, Pat. Um, uh, Karen, when people would call her, she had she was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2003, and she had uh, a mastectomy and then the, 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 uh, uh, all of the surgery and then was uh, beginning the chemo and then radiation. And people were just, we are surrounded by the most wonderful group of friends. And they were calling constantly, what can we do? What can we do? And I would hear her on the phone. And I knew what they had just asked. Should they just ask what would we do? Because Karen's response consistently was, make me laugh. Make me laugh. And she believed that one of the things that she could do was to bring her best spiritual self the other thing, so she was in prayer regularly. The other thing she could do was to bring her best emotional self. And so she would consistently say, make me laugh. That was the spirit that, that, that she brought the first time. Then when she was diagnosed again, uh, I have, have, uh, have often said that when Karen would go for an infusion, the entire clinic before she left was infused with her positive spirit. That uh, that whole idea about I am going to bring my best and most positive self 
to any challenge in my life w- with her throughout this whole process. Uh, and and that 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 was just a uh, part of who she was. I, uh, she she, she and, and and by the way, Pat, one of the things that I am very uh, that I want to mention here, as a pastoral counselor, I have encouraged countless people. Uh, to to remember their spouses, I'm just going to keep the the loss as a spouse here. To remember them for the real person they were, or a parent, or whoever, for the real person they were. To not not only remember their idealized version, because if their grief is really going to be fully effective, they need to grieve the whole person, and and the whole person that that Karen was was someone who was no Pollyanna. She didn't create the positive in life. She looked for the positive in life. Our, our, our grandchildren, when they would come over, she'd take them out to the backyard and she would huddle up with them. And then she would say, I want you to find the most beautiful thing in the backyard. And she'd send them out and then they'd oh. all come back with their report. Anyway, that was the spirit with which she then came into each of these cancer diagnoses. I'm going to bring my best. I'm going to bring my most positive to it. Did she make you laugh? Oh, my word, yes. Oh, my word, yes. The funniest example, I happen to mention this in the book, there are so many, but the, the, the funniest, we were having yogurt at this yogurt shop, and, uh, and my word, that, and the yogurt shop was next door to, to one of these gyms where folks did all their, their muscle building and working out, and so we were sitting there with our two children having our yogurt, and this guy comes in who has been working out, I think, for the last 25 years nonstop because the guy was massive. He was ripped. He was so muscular. And he came walking past our table. And I just playfully turned to our teenage son and just sarcastically, I said, Patrick, go tell that punk I could clean his plow. And Karen said, without hesitation, without hesitation, Pat, she said, yes, Patrick, and then see if he has any other farm implements your daddy could work on. (laughs) She was a bona fide, card-carrying piece of work. (laughs) Oh, you know what? I miss her already. Yes. And And I was just introduced a few minutes ago. And, of course, last night in the book, um, finding out a great deal about your family. Uh, one of the things that uh, you offer as a gift in your counseling, the form that I was reading about in the quiet house, as you counsel us on the loss of a spouse, the problems with denial and guilt. Uh, when, when people are saying, how dare I, after this period of time, whatever the period of time is, how dare I think about having a good time mm-hmm. or enjoying the company of friends? Talk about denial and guilt. Thank you. Yes, that is that is absolutely important. The 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 way I think of it for Ron is I had a great life. Now I have a good life. Oh, uh, oh. Initially, and, and 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 initially, Pat, the hit was so horrific that we all, everybody who has been in any similar place, when the hit 
happens, we forget all that we do still have because everything has suddenly changed. It's like the lens through which we saw all of our life because we were so connected. And then as we begin that, that, that process of mourning and then ultimately we start to experience the healing and we start to feel better and better. And then I remember the first time that it wasn't literally the first time I laughed, but the first time I spent an evening laughing, a friend had invited me over and, um, I am, I am surrounded by some of the funniest people. They're mainly from my Sunday school class, and and we just had the best time all evening. And I remember driving home and said, that feels so weird. And and, and I had twinges, not quite of guilt, but I had twinges of, is is that, oh my gosh, I had a, a delightful evening. This is months after Karen died. I had a delightful evening, and Karen is not here. Karen died. And I had a good time. And it is something that we all have to work through in our own way in that that's all right. And she would be absolutely delighted. And that's where I think of I I must mourn Karen's death, but I must not be defined by it. I've got a world out there ahead of me. I've got a life out there in front of me. As Alfred Lloyd Tennyson said, far more articulately and skillfully, though much is taken, much abides. And that's where that's 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 what I build on is is what what I, I, oh good gracious and 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 I have so much in my life to build on my faith, my family, my friends, my my ministry, my vocation, all of this to build on. And again. I had a great life. I now have a good life, and I'm working to to make it better and better. And that is exactly what she would want for me. And that is exactly what I want is to create the very best life I can out of what I uh, out of the uh, um, these these marvelous foundational blocks I have to build on. But friends and family, I'm sure always well-meaning, will for the most part often have some kind of timeline in mind when it's appropriate to allow yourself joy after the loss of a spouse. What is the timeline, Ron? Oh, uh, that's a great question. It varies enormously. There There are some people who will will think you ought not to be really enjoying yourself for for a long time there are other people who think you ought to be over it you know 15 20 minutes later that 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 they and 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 all of them uh, if for all of them it's because they haven't been there and uh, they they haven't experienced it but for some people they will they will go to one extreme and months and months and months later they 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 still look askance at you if you are enjoying your life but for other people they almost forget that you had the loss you know within a matter of weeks and and well one of the things that i i did not experience myself because i i just uh the the 
the uh, the friendships that I that I have are people that are just so attentive and so respectful. But I've talked to countless people as a as a as a pastoral counselor, Pat, who who have told me that you know after three weeks, it, I I don't get any messages. I don't I don't get support. I don't get anything, and it's like I'm supposed to be over it. And one of the things that oh. that I encourage people to do is to realize. This healing, and of course, the the the, uh, the deeper the love, the deeper the loss. Uh, that 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 this healing of these close loved ones goes on for a long, long time, and the support that you that you offer is just a gift of God to people who are mourning. And Frida doesn't want you to watch a movie. It's funny on television within an acceptable period of time. Mm-hmm. Well, she'll have to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know how they handle it in Louisiana, but I just always keep thinking of the phrase: "How do you gracefully say to well-meaning people, buzz off'?" <laughs> yes, 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 uh, yes. By the way, I I was curious reading the book. Uh, the difference in your two losses. The instantaneous loss of Eric, that sudden boom, he's gone, automobile accident, mm-hmm. as opposed to the lengthy, ongoing, diminishing of loss and life of Karen. Was either easier for you to handle? They were, I'm, I'm so glad you asked that. They were so different they were both profound when i lost each of them the context as you just as you just set it up so well the contexts were radically different but the moment of death it is absolutely profound one of the differences let me mention a couple of differences when the loss is sudden and unexpected then there is so much that and and here i'm not talking about the loss of a child i'm talking about the loss of anyone who is sudden and expected uh then there is is so much that is is unsaid because you didn't see it coming when the loss is when, when you do have that kind of runway when you do have have the the expectation of it coming because it it's usually uh obviously cancer or some illness then you you have the opportunity as Karen and I had uh had 17 years altogether but especially those last 10 years of her rediagnosis uh we we got to do the traveling we wanted to do got to say everything got to ask uh, everything and and of course there are things that I overlooked there are things that I I would love to go back and 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 ask or say to her but mainly we had the opportunity to do that so that's that's one of the differences between the two is that you don't have any preparation if it's a sudden loss. You are able to say and do those things. And when I've done quite a bit of volunteering at hospice here in Atlanta. And, you know, I'm just so aware that among the several things that are the norm for people to say to loved ones as one of them is dying are, thank you, forgive me, I forgive you, and I love you. 
And Ooh. as I reflect on this last 10 years of Karen's life, we were able to say all of those things in all of its different forms and formats. We were able to express all of those things to each other. You're not if it's a sudden death. The, the, the other difference, Pat, that I think of between a sudden death and one that we, that we see coming is that there is, when you do see the death coming, there you do mourn it as you go. You have lots of mourning to do after the death because the moment of death in both occasions, as I've said, I think twice, is powerful. But you do mourn as you are anticipating the death if you if it is an it is an illness. Uh, and of course, that is accentuated if um, if it's Alzheimer's or any form of dementia and you're literally losing contact with the person as you go, then you most certainly are mourning their death as you come. But yes, there there are differences uh, and there are so many parallels. So many things to learn as I did while I was reading the book, The Quiet House. So many things to learn in advance. And though there's nothing depressing about the idea of, of preparing yourself, uh, particularly if for some reason or other medically you can see the horizon from where you are. Uh, but uh, pastoral counselor Ronald Greer has offered us some very, very practical advice, but one that I wasn't prepared for. Ron, you taught me how to shop for towels. <laughs> Do explain, please, if you will. <laughs> well, one thing that I learned is get great consultation. <laughs> it was um, the most powerful. I tell the, tell the story in the book about... Uh, about going to the store, I needed some new towels after Karen died, and you talk about the ultimate fish out of water. <laughs> uh, I was over these mountains of towels all around me, and I did not have any idea as to where to begin. And I, I just realized in that moment, in this little way, how much this lady brought in the big ways and in the small ways into my life and how big a void and that the, the, the towels were, were one of the smaller ways. I also remember when I needed a new frying pan and I walked in and the lady came up to help me and I said, I just, I just paused there for a moment and suddenly as I was about to tell her what I needed, the tears just came into my eyes and I was able to mumble out my wife died as I, I was trying to ask her for for guidance on the frying pan and she very kindly said I'll give you a moment but the, the, those were just the ways that it hit me that um, about about Karen's loss because I was venturing into her world and the, 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 the time I also remember um, was uh, when I was when Karen said to me, I was just walking down the hall, I was walking past the laundry room, Pat, and uh, I hear Karen's voice from inside the laundry room. She said, Ron, let me show you how to do this. Mm. And she, she was sorting clothes. Mm. And I, I, she said, let me show you how to do this. That was all she said. Let me show you how to do this. 
and she began the washing tutorial. And she, it was very interesting because she never said why she was showing me how to do it. And I never asked because we both knew. And a month later, Karen died. Uh, but it was, it was one of those small moments in the big transition of moving from this life, this half century I'd had with her into the rest of the life that I will have without her. It is one of those small moments. And so back to the towels, I, I learned to, to consult some very good friends on, <laughs> on these decisions because uh, I was hardly the pro. Well, as I mentioned to you uh, early on in our conversation, uh, I've been fortunate that I haven't had the experience of losing a spouse, but you have a brother in the laundry room with you here, Ron, because, yeah. because my wife has not been well uh, in the last couple of years, and uh, so she is not as mobile as she once was, and that means then that I'm learning to do the laundry. <laughs> oh, oh, we're a couple of pros here. I'm very sorry to hear about your wife. Struggle. No, but absolutely. I'm, but uh, I'm no, talking, I'm talking with a colleague here. I'm the king of tide. Uh, <laughs> I want you to know that. Uh, and 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 by the way, your writing, uh, your writing is is very skilled. May I tell you this as a guy who has done just this program alone for 24 years, and having met the authors of the world. Uh, brevity has such impact and I made a note to tell you that the opening of the chapter taking a break was something that gave me whiplash because I'd never seen it written this way in its brevity grief is exhausting I've never heard Anyone describe grief as exhausting before? And 20. please, please pursue that. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I was just going to say 24 hours a day. You think about it early on after a loss. You think about it throughout the day. You often dream about it through the night. 24 hours a day, it is, it is absolutely powerful in how much emotional energy it takes. It is awesome. And, 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 and that's, that's why I, I encourage, that, that, that's why I wrote the book, is I want people to, as they are investing that kind of intentional, that, that kind of work, I want it to be very focused and intentional so that they can can successfully uh, move through this journey because a lot of people uh, no fault of their own they simply don't know how to do it and they get stuck my director robin was sitting over here at the controls nodding at every word that you said because she has experienced the loss of a spouse Mm, mm, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. has experienced that kind of exhaustion. 
that people just simply aren't prepared for uh, if you haven't <laughs> if you haven't read the book, uh, The Quiet House. Uh, by the way, one of the things one of the things that always seemed to irritate me more than anything else about people's good wishes when they're badly phrased is the constancy of other people's opinions about how you should handle grief. I, I recommend that people share the opinion of Ronald Greer. He's done it a couple of times and he's written about it and knows what he's talking about. But what about the other people, though, who give you all kinds of advice, much of which is not only not welcome, but useless? <laughs> the, uh, l l l let, me, let me respond to that in a couple of ways. As you know from having read the book, that what I am describing to people is what my journey has been like, and I am hopefully facilitating them discovering what their journey will be like. Now, there are, of course, principles of how one goes about mourning that apply to all of us, but there is also uniqueness because each of our personalities are different, and every relationship that we have of someone that, that we lose is, is unique. Therefore, each experience is going to is going to have its distinctiveness, uh, even though, as I say, there's there is much in common. But what I hope to do is to help them discover the uniqueness of of, of their journey. And in in uh, it's I, I borrowed this phrase from whoever originally said it. I, I I really like it that I don't think of myself as the sage on the stage. I think of myself as the guide by the side. And and I, I'm, I think of myself as a Sherpa who is is guiding people along their journey uh, as they are discovering uh, how how best they mourn. Now, let me go back to the um, the specific question that you were asking, Pat, and that is, uh, what about these thing these people that that either say just utterly stupid things <laughs> or. <laughs> Or, or will 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 say things that are, that are just are just non helpful pep talks. Uh, there too. And, and and by the way, I have um, I have spoken over the years at a, a handful of uh, conferences on grief, like the Compassionate Friends or Bereaved Parents of the USA, at some of those conferences uh, since I had the loss of a child. And uh, at each one of those conferences, there is inevitably going to be a breakout workshop entitled something like the five stupidest things people told me after my childhood. <laughs> and whenever somebody comes up to me, Pat, and, and, and this has happened very rarely, people are kind of skittish what they say to, yes. what they, what they say to me because of, of, of my profession. But whenever someone does, say something that is just it would have been better left unspoken there are two thoughts that i have number one is well they had the guts to step up and say something and that took some courage and number two is thank god they said something stupid because <laughs> it means they've never been here had oh, they oh. had they experienced the le the death of, of a child had they experienced the death of a spouse they would never have said that so thank God they said something stupid because they haven't been through 
they haven't been through that. Now, one final thought about that. Um, many of the things that people say, um, I, I discourage because they are really pep talks. And I encourage people to forget the cliches. They are well-intended, but they rarely help. What the cliches, uh, you know, God picks the whatever, uh, as, as people will, will say, the loveliest of flowers or however they finish that. The uh, cliche that they pick uh, is to try to get the person out of their pain, and they can't get out of their pain, number one. Number two, they don't need to get out of their pain because they need to work through their pain, not get out of it. So instead of trying to talk them out of the ditch, which is impossible, they can't get out of the ditch, they just lost their loved one, you climb down into the ditch with them and you and you keep them company and you, you, you embrace them. You don't try to talk them out of any feeling with positive thoughts or, 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 or fantasies. What you do is you get with them, you are present with them, you are close to them. You have that loving contact. Um, and, and, and that, that's where the cliches are, are, the cliches are not helpful, but the cliches also mean that we've missed an opportunity to do what truly is helpful. Ron, I'm sitting here and I'm absorbing this and I'm watching that aforementioned studio director, Robin, after all of these shows on some very deep and serious subjects, I'm seeing her wiping the tears mm. from her eyes, listening to you. And it's been some time since she's lost that spouse. But uh, I thank you for touching Robin and me and Rosemary, my producer, who's sitting here reflecting deeply. But... See, all of these people that I work with are gifted, splendidly uh, uh, tasteful people who would never say the following to you. Well, now, I'm going to do my Louisiana, because you, you, you pronounced it Louisiana. Louisiana. Well, now, Ron, um, you know, it's been a while now. And uh, let me just tell you about this girl from Nacogdoches that, uh, <laughs> that is just a bright and splendid gift on God's green earth. And I just think the two of you would be a wonderful, well, not a, a couple, but a, a friendship that you could create. And I could introduce you to her Saturday. What do you think? What do I think? Yeah, um, I'm leaving the fix-up response to you. They're, they're the fixer-upper people surround you. The, the, um, they are very well-intended. Yes. And this is where you, you uh, approach someone who has lost a spouse after a period of time that you approach them very respectfully. And what I would lead with 
would not be nacdocious. What I would lead with <laughs> would would be uh, let me know when you are ready to um, to to be introduced to someone because it's uh, I, I would I would not want them to feel the pressure. I want them to feel the sincerity of the of the thoughtful invitation. But uh, that's where that's where each person has their own time frame for that. And there is absolutely no, I have no idea what mine will be. And no one knows when they have that loss, what it will be, when it will be for them. But for everyone to have the finger on the pulse and for, for a person to, to approach that respectfully, as, as I have had people approach it very respectfully with me, and the way you did it was 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 not bad. Was not bad. How was the was, How was the accent though? No, the accent was was spot on. I mean, you nailed it. <laughs> you nailed it. How soon would, would How soon did people board. start with the fixing up with you? Uh, the first question I got was after ten months. Mm. Yeah, and then uh, and then then periodically, and uh, it's been. Three years and and uh, almost four months now, and I, I don't I do not have an interest yet. Uh, isn't that, isn't that interesting though? Because that there is are to each person. Well, and there are those people who will say that after their experience, that they were brought out of deep depression by keeping company with someone. Yes. Yes. And, and, and I, I, do, I don't have a problem with that as long as they are not repressing their grief by doing so, as long as they're not distracting themselves mm. by their grief. What I do, I don't, I'm, I, I'm not dating, but what I do is I get together with my friends. Like last night, I was with, with a group of friends. Uh, Saturday night, I was with another group of friends. I get together with my friends and I have an absolutely wonderful time. And for some people, it's going to be a uh, more of a dating type relationship. I have no problem with that. The as as long as no one is using anything as a distraction away from their grief. But by, by the way, Pat, may, may, may I may I turn to grief for just a moment? Well, the answer to everything after "May I" with you is absolutely go ahead. Okay, thank you, thank you. Because there's one distinction that 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 I, I want to make that I'm implying in several different ways, but haven't said as I use the word grief and mourning. Grief and mourning are two words that are used synonymously, and they're very overlapping words yes. that have similar meanings, but they're not the same thing. Grief is the emotional blow that I feel after a loss. That's the emotion, is grief. It hurts. I'm doubled over in pain. Mourning is a choice that I, I have no choice about grief. Mourning, I have a choice about Mourning is giving expression to that pain. It's choosing to give expression to my grief. Uh, I have I have talked with people who have um, uh, who have struggled years later. They 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 will uh, they will be depressed, 
and they will come into my office. We'll talk about it, and and I'll ask many many questions in regard to their depression. But one of the questions I'll get around to is, have you ever had a major loss in your life? And they'll say, oh yes, and they'll describe someone who was absolutely precious to them, who died. And I said, did you mourn their death? And they said, oh, I hurt with it for years. I said, well, I certainly respect that you hurt with it, but did you actively mourn? And we discovered that as they walked away from the cemetery, they had shed their last tear. And they did not continue to mourn. And mourning, they're, they're, they're mourning, and this is the phrase I always use, is mourning means to give my grief a voice. To cry it yes, out, yes. to talk it out, or for those who journal, to write it out. And I must give it a voice. Anytime something, something um, emotional hits me, like grief, but other emotions as well, but we're talking about grief right now. Like grief, I am infused with emotional input. It throws my emotional life off balance. I'm in disequilibrium, Pat, and the way I balance the input in order to right the ship, I balance the input with output. Again, I cry it out, I talk it out with dear friends, or I write it out as I, as I journal. But that's mourning. So grief, we have no choice about grief because life is going to bring losses. We have no choice about it. We are in charge of what we do with it, and we are so wise if we choose to give it a voice and to let that pain out. How did you handle the loss of Karen with the kids? Oh, we were together. We'd, when I, I have a uh, Patrick, my son, and then and then after Eric's death, we had our daughter Brooke was born, and uh, Patrick and Brooke and I were together. Uh, we talked with Karen in uh, in the hour before her death, and we could see a smile on her. She was not able to open her eyes. She was not able to respond to us, but we could see that smile on her face in the hour uh, uh, as she was dying. And then we uh, we heard her, uh, her her breathing changed as we went back up to the room, and we were with her as she died. The three of us were with her. I was holding her hands as she died. And uh, we absolutely went through it together. And that was just a, a gift of God to, I'll speak for them as well, I believe accurately. It was a gift of God for all three of us to have uh, have gone through that experience. Together. Do you remember her last words? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Her last words were the day before she died. She was not able to speak other than just a, a mutter, perhaps a, a yes or a no, the last day of her uh the last day of her of her life but the night before then she was was extremely weak extremely tired so i got her to bed early i got her tucked in and we chatted for a moment and i kissed her good night and when i kissed her good night she her eyes were already closed and i knew she was asleep that is i thought she was asleep and so i gave her a kiss on the cheek and i was walking out of the bedroom to go back downstairs and here is this lady who was 24 hours away from from dying and was so weak and how she was able to lift her head off the pillow i have no idea but her head came off the pillow and she looked at me 
and you could there's no way of expressing how much effort this took but by golly she was going to get it expressed her head was in the air off the pillow she said ron i love you and her head then gently fell back to the pillow and those were the last words she ever spoke. Oh, my gosh. Now, Robin and I are both in tears. Well, <laughs> on, the heels, uh, on the heels of that sensitive moment, may I tell you that The God Show has been blessed over the years with, I can't tell you how many major authors, conversations with Mother Teresa, conversations with the Dalai Lama, but also people who have something to say and are saying it for the first time on this broadcast. And with all of that, I don't think I have ever been as hesitant as at this moment to ask this question. And I'm going to because it's you. How did you decide? How did you decide to... give away Karen's things. Oh boy, that was that was so important. It um it came in two different waves. Uh I was not eager to do that because there had been the loss of Karen and then that that had taken place months before and I kept looking at her things in the closet and uh, I just wasn't ready to to revisit something that was so tangible and so visible as giving away her things but I heard on the news in Atlanta Georgia it was going to be this is January of 2021 it was the high that day was going to be 39 degrees and I could all but hear Karen's voice say, now, there were going to be people on the streets of Atlanta, Georgia, who could use those wonderful coats that Karen had in the downstairs closet. And that was the day I decided to give the coats. We've got a wonderful ministry here at our church at Peachtree Road Methodist uh, for the ladies who have been incarcerated and who are released. And uh, I gave, I then contacted the two dear friends of mine who are in charge of that ministry and said, I've got a closet full of coats I want to get you. And they said, meet us Thursday morning here at the church. And so I brought all of those coats down and gave them. In that same ministry, uh, we have a um, uh, a closet of all kinds of clothes for these ladies. And, 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 and what we are about here is for these women, when they are released from prison, and many of them have only the clothes that are on their backs, and they have it, the, the traumas that they have been through is horrific. And what we want to do is to provide something for them in which they can walk out into their community with dignity 
and um, they were going to get the they, they were going to have a special day here where this ministry was uh, uh, for, for for these who had been incarcerated and were now released, and they were going to be able to come and shop. And so I said, it's time. And so I took all of Karen's clothes to the cleaners and uh, in, on several different or several different runs, uh, took them all and I brought them and I donated them all to this ministry. And the, the moment that stand, two moments that stand out for me that I, I'd like to share, one of them was, and, and they invited Brooke and me to come that Saturday morning and watch these ladies shop. And of course there was no cost involved. We'll watch them shop for the clothes. And there was one moment that one of these ladies who had been incarcerated was going through the clothes and she asked her volunteer helper, uh, she said, I don't see any price tags. And the volunteer came over to some of us and said, what do I tell her? And of course we said, there are no price tags. And to watch the look on this lady's face, Mm as she was told there are no price because she had no money and so she could shop and buy multiple outfits at no cost and i happened to see her 20 minutes later as she was going to get her things wrapped up in a bag and she had two of karen's blouses and oh my gosh it just warmed my heart this lady was (laughs) gone thrilled and she was going to be wearing her blouses. Brooke said to me later, this is the other comment I wanted to make. Brooke said to me later, she said, Daddy, you know, that wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be because those clothes really belong to those ladies now. And, of course, that's exactly what Karen would have wanted. So it was it was not that I was giving those clothes, giving them away. I was giving them to somebody and that made all the difference in the world because I knew where they were going. And one of the things I would encourage anyone after the loss of a spouse is to, is to pick the place that you want to give them. So you'll have a sense of, you may not see the person select them, but you'll have a sense of where they're going and there's going to be a meaning and a purpose to the gift. And uh, I cannot tell you how transformational that is when, when there is a meaning and purpose to it. We don't do the God Show to sell books. We don't even do the God Show to uh, be successful with our ratings. We do the God Show for obvious reasons. Every week it's a different reason. This time I'm going to repeat the name of the book, The Quiet House. Reflections on the Loss of a Spouse. It's by Abingdon Press. Please, now, even before it's needed, won't you go out and get a copy? Tell him it's Pat McMahon's friend, Ronald J. Greer, and you met him on The God Show.